As you guys know, Coco had open heart surgery back in September for a valve replacement, and it was scary and stressful, and he needed some time to heal, hence our hiatus. But Coco's back, baby. Danny boy. Danny boy. Those pipes are not ringing for you. I survived. (laughs) Danny boy. (laughs) Spoilers. I lived. (laughs) And I'm doing great. Hit it. I tussled with the Grim Reaper. We played chess against each other like in that movie. What movie? Um, hmm. The Nine Steps? Okay. Maybe? Sure. Uh, no, The Seventh Seal? <laughs> Definitely. The Twelve seventh, Angry Men? The Seventh Seal. <laughs> and I, uh, I whooped them. Yeah. I kicked them in their spooky genitals. <laughs> I pushed them down and I ran through the portal back to the living world. That's right. And uh, I'm really glad that I did. And it's been just over three months, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just doing inc- incredibly. I think uh, almost totally healed and just I'm quite grateful to be alive and grateful to be back at this my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> uh, just just working on it this morning a little bit and watching the episode was it just felt it just like putting. Uh, putting on a a comfy uh, big boy blanket yeah i agree i'm very excited that you're here for this it's a good time and a uh a time for thanks and i give thanks to you my love who uh who got me through the past few months which were not easy and uh god it just feels so good to be back at this i missed it i missed it so much i haven't watched a second of golden girls until this morning (laughs) and it was so so nice to be with them again it's making me. It's making me emotional. It was really, really nice. It just felt. It just felt so good. It is. Yeah. I love you, dear. I love you. In gratitude. <laughs> Stinging my eyes like onions. <laughs> Who's cutting gratitude in here? <laughs> it's a new episode at the start of a new season. As we step into season four, we follow Dorothy to school, where she has a surprise student. Then Blanche's beau has a surprise side chick. Will Dorothy help her student earn their degree? Will Blanche and Sophia make amends before it's too late? Did Coco heal from his heart surgery? Will I come up with a theory surrounding Ava Braun giving Rose a disease? Yes, yes I will. Oh, as for the other stuff, we'll find out about it now with the season four premiere, Yes, We Have No Havanas. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide Oh, you're my best friends I could never lie I love when we party, dance and sing And laugh just doing our things No matter the misters that come Before we get into the episode, Coco is back. 
In early September, he had heart valve replacement surgery, and he is doing great. And we want to extend our gratitude first to you listeners for being patient with us while we took a healing hiatus. We also want to thank those who checked in on us on Instagram or emails and you sent well wishes uh, our way, Uh, especially our dear friend Tommy, who's all the way over in Florida, who sent us not only a gaggle of movies to keep us occupied, and no, I still have not watched Sound of Music. Uh, He also sent some Golden Girl goodies and a lovely letter that still hangs on our fridge. And what I love about that is not just, you know, making a new friend because of this show, but that's what the show, this show and the Golden Girls is all about, just being there for each other through the good and the bad. That that meant a lot to me. I really appreciated that. I'm going to start crying again. It was just nice that uh, someone, I, I mean, I know of and I'm familiar with and appreciate it. And he knows me a lot better than I know him. Um, to send that it was very nice. It was very cool to us. It was just awesome. Thanks, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Except we still can't get into the episode itself because we must discuss the title. The original, Yes, We Have No Bananas, was written by Frank Silver, who was famous in the jazz and vaudeville circuits. When he came upon a man at a fruit stand, the seller started every interaction with a melodic, yes, and then answered the request. In this case, yes, we have no bananas. The way the man spoke became a jingle rattling around in Frank's memory, so he reached out to Irving Cohen to help with the music, then bingo, bango, bongo, they had a hit. The song was eventually used on Broadway during protests in Belfast, in book titles, and for signage during World War II in Britain. Next to their keep calm and carry on, they would be, yes, we have no bananas. What would that mean for them then? All I can imagine is that it was a positive context. So, like, they probably didn't have bananas, I would think. It was probably hard during a war to oh, get it is, produce. So, it is a, it's a, so maybe, like, yes, we have no bananas. Cheery, but... Keep s- calm and carry on. Carrying on with a stiff upper lip. That's right. You know how they do. When you ask him anything, he never answers no. He just yeses you to death and then he takes your dough. We have no bananas. We have no bananas today. Okay, now we can get into the episode. And it's so good to be back. Right away, we're greeted by Dorothy's business casual Riddler meets Haunted Mansion blouse. (laughs) Riddle me this. With green and black vertical stripes and patches of floral print. Looking over some papers, she joins her magazine-reading mother, who is also in khakis, but wearing a more sensible cherry-pink blouse under a cream cardigan. Before Dorothy can get good and settled, the door opens, and it's Rose, who is delighted to see that they're there. In a periwinkle dress and sweater, she is elated to see the girls, girls. The summer hiatus didn't slow Sophia down. She's as annoyed as ever with Rose, always with the girls, girls. As if 20-year-old at the time and star of Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles, Molly Ringwald was in the room. I have uh, had a lifetime crush on Molly Ringwald. Oh, I could see that for you. Because she starred in the original television adaptation of The Stand. And that was, uh, I, I read The Stand that summer, and so I fell in love with that book and that version. And I any other version that exists of that story, I can only ever see Molly Ringwald That's in cool. that role of Franny. And she's great in it. Franny. Are you okay? 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm the object of a young poet's unrequited love. What else could a girl want? Sophia's mood isn't lost on Rose, who asks why she's, as they say in this household, being a cranky little butthole. Sophia has good reason to be nasty. Her social security check was late. Her arthritis is acting up, causing her pain. And she hasn't shared the intimacy of a shower with a man in 22 years. Dorothy's childlike naivete correcting her that Sal had been dead for 27 years. Something Sophia is well aware of, which gives Dorothy pause. As they say what they're saying without saying it, Rose clears it all up. It's upsetting, but Rose has come to the conclusion that for five years, Sophia was bathing with her dead husband's corpse. For five years. Oh, sweet dumb Rose. Not only is that disturbing, but the logistics of Sophia moving Sal around and his body rotting in the home with no one noticing is just pretty horrific. And he had noodles hanging out of his mouth. (laughs) Pasta on his shirt. Remember when I came back from the hospital and you had to shower me as I sat in a shower seat? I do. You had to wash everything? I do. Did that bother you? No, it was just oh, okay. part of the part of the deal. It was a weird it thing was. and that's all. Yeah. You had to I wash. never thought twice about it. No, I know. Nor did I. I'd wash your grundle too. <laughs> back to what all the girls was about. Rose very excitedly shares that she has procured tickets to the hottest musical in town, a Norwegian one that doesn't have a name. Sadly, Dorothy won't be able to join as she has plans. Rose's follow-up inquiring if she has a date leaves Sophia spitting out and choking on her cracker in equal measure. Of course, it isn't a date. Not just because it's Dorothy, but she really does have other plans. She's teaching an adult education course for people seeking to earn their GED. Rose is delighted at the idea and even wants to know more. So Dorothy goes on, explaining that the course will cover the basics of high school. The three R's of education are classically English, as they consist of reading, writing, which, you know, doesn't start with an R, and arithmetic, which starts with an A. Those pillars of teaching have been around since the 1800s. There's no telling how long Rose's school had been teaching their three R's of reading, writing, and rooster inseminating. First, we owe her school some kudos because at least rooster starts with an R. Concerning, though, is that insemination means to introduce semen to a female, and roosters are males. So did she mean to say rooster collection, or were they doing things to those roosters? Dorothy is disturbed by Rose's education, but definitely not surprised. Sadly, her school will only be teaching the whole reading and writing part, which is actually dangerous, according to Rose. Her students could get hurt when they do whatever it is Rose learned how to do to roosters. Before Dorothy can dive into why Rose was inseminating male birds, Blanche has floated into the room and is looking like a 1988 Barbie Goes to the Rainbow Tie event in a pink shirt with a black velvet jacket all held together with a row of pink, green, and blue bow ties down the center. When she's told the dress is too short, too tight, and shows more than enough cleavage for someone north of 35, it's confirmed. The dress suits her just fine. <laughs> 
It's clear from her outfit and smile that Blanche is off to another date with the man that she's been seeing. A man that, even after four dates, the girls can't understand why they don't know everything about the guy. When the doorbell rings, the girls' frustrations go away. Blanche has a secret to share about her new man, but instead of telling them, she'll let Rose answer the door and they can just figure it out for themselves. When Rose finds a white-haired, white-mustached, white-suit-wearing older man at the door, she's confused as to who he might be. It was implied that he would be Blanche's date, but this guy is ancient, so that's not possible. Ignoring Rose's rude comment, the man makes his way to Blanche's arms before she introduces him. Finally explaining Rose's cognitive abilities, she apologizes for being ageist before dropping a huge bombshell. Like the royal family, her cousins have been inbreeding for years. Wow, that explains a lot. Playing Blanche's beau, Fidel Santiago, is Enrique Jimenez, better known by his whitewashed stage name, Henry Darrow. He was a Puerto Rican immigrant who started acting in his 20s. He was a character actor who you may have seen in Bonanza, Mod Squad, Kojak, Wagon Train, Outer Limits, Hawaii Five-0, Days of Our Lives, St. Helens, Gemini Man miniseries, Wonder Woman, and La Bounty. Here's a real fun fact. While he is playing Blanche's elder, in reality, the pair were only, drumroll please, five months apart. Henry was born in September of 1933, Rue, February 1934, and Estelle was a decade his senior. Estelle's hair looked much bigger in this season premiere. It looked yeah, huge. Yeah, I noticed that too, that like the, um, especially like the back tail area was really kind of poofing off her neck. I think, yeah, they were like season four, baby. We're I wonder going if big. it's like uh, in Seinfeld when Kramer's hair got huge all yes. of a sudden. He's, he's very popular now. We need bigger hair. <laughs> The ladies are quickly charmed by Fidel's accent and compliments, which they almost buy into because of his accent. But Sophia is quick to notice that his face is familiar. Her instinct was right. His father's face was on cigar boxes back in the day. Dorothy, embarrassed by her mother's questioning, tries to get her to stop, but Fidel assures her she was right. Annoyed at the bossy nature of her daughter, Sophia asks the commandant, or military leader, if she can continue her conversation. It turned out Fidel's family had a very successful tobacco farm, or as he said, plantation, so oh boy on that, and he was the most famous Fidel in Cuba. That is, until the Castro guy came along in 1959. Rose, you might need another R in your education. History. No, there's two if you if it's history. Oh. I support women. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I do. You're a femarnist. That's me. Femman. Femman. Femmanist. <laughs> hey guys, I'm an ally. I'm a femmanist. I'm a hunky bro, but I still <laughs> love chicks. So who there are you go. smoke shows physically and <laughs> mentally. But less mentally. I just need the upper hand. I don't care. <laughs> Another R Rose is learning about is Rex the Wonder Horse. He wasn't from Cuba, but he was real. He even has his own IMDb page. So do myself and Coco, so I guess it's not all that impressive. Except he was a horse. In his career, he earned 21 acting credits through the 1920s and 30s. Here he is on Groucho Marx's You Bet Your Life. You and Rex have something in common. You're both from Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> 
How'd you like that one, Rick? <laughs> you didn't care for it, huh? I'd like to say something about Rex the Wonder Horse. And I watched that whole s- section that he was on on that episode. Mm-hmm. And he's charming, beautiful horse. Doesn't do much. Yeah. Nods, shakes its head. Well, I would imagine that he was, was um, managed. Yeah. You know, you can't just take an, you can't take a full energy horse onto a soundstage for a game show. We all saw Nope. <laughs> That's right. Number one, please refrain from making any loud noises, sudden movements, and keep your cell phones off. We'd really appreciate that. Two, if you see anything that looks or feels unsafe, contact me, OJ, or your second in chain of command. And three. Let's have a great shoot. Speaking of wonder horses, there is a rumor, and we have read online many articles about it, but we would love further confirmation that supposedly Mr. Ed, the talking horse, was a zebra. So if anyone knows anything about that, you know what to do. Gmail us. While Sal didn't partake in smoking Santiago's cigars, he did enjoy the high-quality boxes, even keeping the nice knives in one. As the conversation ends, Fidel is delighted by Sophia and how she is exactly how Blanche described her, incorrigible, which Sophia maybe doesn't take as the highest compliment, but it's fair enough. She's always calling Blanche a cheap slut, so they're square. As Fidel is actually tickled by Sophia, Blanche fake laughs along while hurrying him out the door. With polite farewells, the couple is gone and the ladies are left to discuss the obvious, Fidel's teeth. Rose thought they were nice, Sophia thought they were long, but as we've discussed before, being long in the tooth came from measuring the age of a horse based on their teeth. If Fidel's grew in the same way, well, they'd be hanging out of his mouth. Even though their poor, dumb, inbred friend has tried to explain how her neurodivergent brain works, Dorothy just can't believe her ears. Now, her saying that was in regard to Rose's ridiculous response to Sophia, but Sophia is back on the bully train and she can't believe Dorothy's ears either or that she didn't take her to the doctor to get them pinned back when she was little. Ooh, a glamorous gothic new location. We're at the school where Dorothy will be teaching night classes. She's dressed in a thigh-length purple jacket over a white and teal shirt with khakis and barely has time to introduce herself before getting to the roll call. In literally no discernible order, she makes her way down the list. Jorge Vega, Michael Fatchik, Jim Shu. Even though this moment predates Dorothy being immersed in the Your Mama jokes, she has been teaching long enough to know a joke name when she hears one. When she realizes she's calling out for Jim Shoe, she barely gives the joke credit before moving on. Except that's when Jim stands up. He's an Asian man, and while this might seem like an oh boy as it's making a joke of his name, it's more like, hey lady, just because a name is different doesn't mean it's a joke. You can't say that. Playing Jim is Ralph Ahn, who we'll get to see again in a later season. Ralph passed away in February 2022, just a few months after the passing of Henry Darrow. In his 65-year career, he appeared in 21 Beacon Street, How the West Was Won, ER, Walker, Texas Ranger, Lawnmower Man 2, Beyond Cyberspace, King of Queens, All-American Girl, Gilmore Girls, and New Girl, where he was known for his lack of lines as Nick's best friend, Tran. Thanks, Tran. If I'd met you in your prime during the war, that would have been glorious. But then we would have been enemies and tried to murder one another, unless we formed an alliance. Oh, you and me formed an alliance in an old school war? That's a fantasy or a novel. 
You just gave me another idea. Fun personal facts, his parents were the first married couple from Korea to immigrate into the U.S. when the borders were opened at the turn of the 20th century. His father was an independence activist who inspired Ralph to become engaged in the Korean community of Los Angeles. That is a fun fact. How interesting. To get back at Dorothy for mocking his name, when she says that she thought he was just pulling her leg, he says he couldn't drink enough rice wine to either physically or emotionally be capable of doing that. All right, back to the roll call. Marie Ganelli here. Rose Nyland. Rose Nyland? Lowering a history book, Rose timidly raises her hand. Then she confesses, even though she has shown the mental prowess needed to almost finish a crossword in the beloved TV guide, which, fun fact, you can still get mailed to your house, like Coco and I do. It came in very handy when he was in the hospital and we were stuck with cable. Also, we are not in our 70s. Why do you ask? Rose goes on. It's true. She never graduated. Which is one hell of a plot whoopsie that we'll get into later on. Using slang for a diploma, she says she doesn't have a sheepskin, which is in reference to the parchment paper once used for diplomas, which is basically leather paper, and I had no idea. Sheepskin is also, as Jim Shu knows so well, a type of condom, used by those usually with allergies to latex. Responding to his offer for her to use one of his sheepskins, she's appreciative but wants to earn it the old-fashioned way. This miscommunication has gotten way out of hand because now Jim thinks he and Rose will be going to dinner at Benny Hanna's after the class so she can earn sleeping with him. Yikes. Rose has a good reason for never finishing school. She didn't fall through the cracks, as she claimed. That's reserved more for students that are struggling with academics or at home and support isn't there for them, leading to poor grades or dropping out altogether. And that wasn't Rose's issue. In the spring before graduation, she was the host of the kissing booth for the school's fair. She kissed 50 boys, and oh boy, the school's female and quite possibly lesbian PE teacher? They allowed teachers to get in line for a student-led kissing booth? Anyway, to no one's surprise, Rose caught mono, the kissing disease, which leads to severe fatigue. So she slept. She slept for six months. She slept through graduation. She slept through baseball becoming integrated, which was in the spring of 1947. So she must have caught it in early April that year, which does line up with her 1930 birth year. After she heard Dorothy was the teacher for an adult class, she felt like it would be a safe setting for her to admit that she had never graduated and she could earn her GED. But maybe she's a bit too comfortable, as she interrupts Dorothy's start of the class to remind her that they need to say the Pledge of Allegiance, the greatest marketing ploy since diamond engagement rings. According to the Smithsonian, the first pledge took place on October 21st, 130 years ago. It was written by Francis Bellamy, who took two whopping hours to piece it together as part of a magazine sales gimmick. The magazine, Youth's Companion, was the largest circulated magazine at the time, and it offered free flags to readers who would sell subscriptions, with the goal of getting a flag into every school to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's best-marketed I Got Lost and Didn't Ask for Directions journey with an accompanying oath. So, there you have it, folks. Nothing in this world is sacred, real or genuine. And obviously this isn't the Pledge of Allegiance, but any excuse I have to play Fergie's national anthem, I will. So here it is for a moment.
Isn't that fun, Coco? Did you know that? That the pledge was just to sell flags? I did not know that. It's pretty cool. Uh, everything, nothing is what it looks like it is ever. That's true. And the under God part, I don't know the year on that, but I do know that that came later. I believe It was that, added? Yeah, I believe in the 50s. Terrific. Well, because back then they were like, yeah, guys, separation of church and state. And then in the 50s, they're like, under God, add it. And they did. Everything's rotten. It's later in the semester, or the course, and Dorothy is busy in an oversized cream blouse and teeny tiny vest, grading the recent history test the class took. Joining her at the kitchen table is Rose in a bright blue button-down and matchy-matchy bright red pant and sweater. Rose can't take the suspense of having to wait until class to learn her grade, but no matter how much she begs, Dorothy is keeping it professional and not telling. If she can't know her grade, Rose just wants to be sure she at least did better than Boris, the man who doesn't speak any English and suffered a traumatic brain injury when fighting in World War II. She didn't do better than him. Bit of a rude bar to set, Rose. Rose can't help but be hard on herself, but Dorothy doesn't want to hear it. Overall, Rose is doing great. It's just history she keeps fumbling on. Accusing her high school history curriculum of being the cause of her struggles, she explains how her teacher was a Nazi, and not in the kid way of, oh, I hate my Nazi teacher, but like the real Third Reich way. The Germans had made a plan to invade the U.S., and starting in St. Olaf, they found that it was an easy target, and they experimented with teaching propaganda, which worked amazingly well with those Southsiders. The implications... Of such a little joke, mm-hmm. it says uh, it just that'd be that's that's pretty ter- that'd be pretty terrifying as a revelation. Mm-hmm. Like as an adult, you mean to be like, wait a minute. Well, no, I mean, I guess I mean for the character that she is, she was taught by yeah, yeah, a Nazi. Yeah, we learn a lot about Rose in this episode that it's she was disturbing. a kissing fiend. It's, She's inbred. It's like the PG version of, I think, like one of the characters on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> yes. It's just nicer. Yes. Cold climates. I actually think about this often, especially with how things are now. And actually, back in the 1970s, New York rep Elizabeth Holtzman, according to author Eric Lichtbau, learned of Nazis who had been accused of war crimes had come to the U.S., And many of those crimes were ignored by American intelligence because they saw a use for the former military officers as potentially useful for gathering information against the former Soviet Union once the Cold War started. So often I see, you know, certain protesters or groups and I can't help but to think of like, oh, that makes sense because this could be like an actual Nazi's grandson. I saw Marathon Man. Well, I didn't. Well, is that about is that about that? (laughs) Yeah, it's about like Nazis coming to the states. Yeah, well, yeah, that. uh, Well, spoilers for a fifty-year-old movie. Well, well, Ah, it just involves a it involves a a person who fled after World War II and is returning to New York for something. Oh, and then there's a whole lot of other intrigue. But what was that other one we watched with um, Christopher Christopher Plummer? Plummer? Remember, remember. Oh, that's ironic. Anyway, so I think about that sometimes where I'm like, where does this even come from? And it's like, oh, it's kind of in our fabric from the last 80 years. I saw Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. I saw Indiana Jones in The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I did too. In, in the, the theater. theater. 
With my mommy and daddy. I saw it with my sister, and we saw a lady roll down the stairs. <laughs> That's right. As the lights were going down, her popcorn <laughs> went everywhere. One of my favorite lifetime memories. She was fine. <laughs> she made like a kind of strangled. Ugh! And then Did someone. Did she like lose her footing on the step or she. She was uh, pivoting, turning towards the, the row that she was in to to enter the row and sit down and enjoy this wonderful motion picture. <laughs> and instead, I guess she lost. She turned and lost her footing and just kind of. And then literally rolled. Her body went. Like looked, Indiana Jones. Well, like the like the rock. Like the rock. Well. Like the boulder in the first Indiana Jones. Not yeah. Like the Rock. Not the Rock. Dwayne. Uh, it, it was great. And, and with that movie, that was definitely the highlight of that outing to I, the theater. I hated everything else about it. <laughs> Not one moment that I like in that movie. Oh, it was so bad. As the conversation surrounding Rose's education continues, Dorothy learns Rose doesn't even know who Adolf Hitler was, which kind of proves her point of being taught under Nazi propaganda. Before Dorothy can become totally gobsmacked at the idea that someone wouldn't know who Hitler was, a distraught Blanche in an all-goldish toned orange dress and flowy cover has entered the scene. She's huffing and puffing about Fidel and how they once were inseparable, and now he's suddenly so busy. So he's obviously seeing another woman. When Blanche rhetorically asks what else a man could possibly be doing if he wasn't dating another woman, Rose has a perfectly reasonable explanation. Maybe he's a painter, like actor, comedian, and all-around artist Red Skelton. For 70 years, he appeared in the vaudeville circuit on radio and television. While he did paint, he did it for himself and kept his work a secret. After 20 years, he had a showing of his work. Eventually, the sales from his artwork surpassed the money he was making in the entertainment world. In his decades of painting, he created more than 1,000 of his distinctive clowns, which by the time he died were selling for nearly $100,000 apiece. Fun fact, that wasn't the only hobby Red was successful in. He wrote one short story a week, wrote commercials for Skull Tobacco, composed over 4,000 songs and symphonies, many of which were sold to Muzak. You know, the elevator music company? Here's one of his marching band numbers. Dorothy responds to Rose's helpful thought by abusing her with her grade book, which I used to always laugh at and find amusing, but it is a little yucky with age, and I know Coco is not a fan. There's a commercial on the on TV right now for a new sitcom starring George Lopez and his daughter. Mm -hmm. And like the only joke I feel in the whole thing is about how uh, his mother or grandmother would hit him with a shoe. Yeah. Which is like, I know a thing. Right. But it's also not a funny thing yeah. ever to me. My yeah. parents, I mean, I was lucky. My parents, I think each one only gave me a pop like once in my right. life. And it was awful. Yeah. So having like my sweet grandmother hit me with a shoe is anyways. Anyone, grandma, don't. Hey, grandma, leave the shoes on and leave most of your opinions in your mouth. <laughs> grandma. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely something because then even while they're talking, Rose like puts her hands over her head. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that's in her own home with her supposed best friend. She should feel safe, even if it is just a little bump on the head. But it is, but it is always kind of funny too. It's and it's funny how it makes her hair poof out. It's only funny because it isn't real. Real. That's true. 
poor little dummy Rose. But I mean, that's just as it's just as bad to me as all of the body shaming and yeah, kind of sex shaming that they do on the show. It's not right. There you go. And I and it, it's but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Blanche and her heartbreak. Fidel Santo Domingo is a special man and she's never been so in love with Fidel Santiago, Dorothy corrects her. Well, it's not like his name matters. We're talking about Blanche's pride here. And the fact that Fidel is good looking and well off is what really matters. Not that she doesn't speak Spanish or Mexican or whatever. Getting into an attention-seeking tizzy, Blanche gets the comfort and validation she's seeking from Dorothy, who assures her there's nothing wrong He has a reasonable explanation for the distance. Silly Blanche. Why would she think for one moment that someone would choose another woman over her after they have, in Blanche's own words, dipped his toes in the lake known as Blanche? I know very little about lakes, but I'm afraid of the germs. Rose rightfully asks why Blanche's stupid comment wasn't worthy of her being smacked. When Dorothy seems like she might answer that with another hit to Rose's head, she ducks and covers. This is a trauma response, folks. We must stop hitting Rose. With Rose failing her test and Blanche being tired from her self-imposed dramatics, Dorothy suggests they all go out to dinner and she'll pay. Without hesitation, everybody's on board. While Blanche gets ready, Rose is nearly giddy to death with excitement. She's ready to say, screw the rules and eat Chinese food with a fork and lie about a birthday for a free cake. And, and with her sudden exuberance and twaddling, Dorothy's worried that she maybe hit Rose's head a little harder than she expected. Luckily, Rose's new hairspray took most of the impact. After dinner, the gals treated themselves to ice cream cones, and they're now walking the boardwalk. We also get to see all of Dorothy's outfit, and golly, those are some flowy pants. Enjoying their treat, Blanche lies and pretends she's been having such a fun night that she can't even remember that one guy she was upset about. Good thing Rose is there to remind her. It's Fidel. Oh, but Blanche was just being a silly goose. Oh, except Rose wasn't helping Blanche to remember. She was pointing Fidel out. For there he is, in another linen suit, under the streetlight. Embracing another woman. When Fidel hears his name being squawked by Blanche, he first fears immigration and starts talking about his papers before realizing he's being busted for another offense, cheating on Blanche Devereaux. I love that over Blanche's shoulder, we can see some very voluminous hair of extras that just cannot help but sneak a peek at Blanche as she lays into Fidel. Oh, another woman, huh? as though you could have found someone younger or better looking or more desirable. Well, he did find someone more desirable and perhaps in his eyes better looking, but not younger. As we learn, it is Sophia who has been canoodling with the cigar air. Seeing that she has lost out to Sophia has Blanche in shock. It also has me wondering why anyone decided to force the girls to manage ice cream cones made of who knows what since no one has taken a lick and under those hot stage lights, it's not moving. Sophia begins to crudely explain the birds and the bees and how she and Fidel's mechanics are working quite well together, and they're so serious, she's wearing his medical alert bracelet, which is a sweet elderly version of a boy giving away his class ring, but this is dangerous. If something happened, medics would need to know that Fidel is allergic to penicillin. Since Fidel and Blanche were never an official couple, he felt free to pursue other avenues. He was drawn to Sophia after spending evenings with her, 
not alone, but while he was waiting for Blanche. Besides both being immigrants, they are from the same generation, so they probably had a lot more to relate to and could have deeper conversations. I kind of like that as a metaphor for life. If you spend all your time getting gussied, you'll miss out on the time where you can get real. Fidel may be relieved to not be sneaking around, but he's put the ladies in a pretty crappy spot. Sophia was already keeping a secret from her housemate and sort of daughter, but now they have to figure out for themselves if they can handle dating a man who isn't willing to put one of them above the other. Yikes. While they sort that out, he has to go change into his third linen suit. That humidity really gets to him. Blanche can't believe Fidel would expect her to come in second. She's never shared a man or, according to Sophia, a pizza. Let the name calling begin. In this corner, we have Blanche spitting out an old crow towards Sophia, who knocks back by calling Blanche a mindless cheap thrill. The battle of words has come to an end, and now it's time for a battle of the heart. And no one can get an ice cream cone in the head, face, or chest. So what was the point of having them? That's like sending clowns in with pies in their hands, and they just leave with them. Boo. I wanted to see an ice cream cone go into somebody's chest or something. Or into Sophia's purse. Yeah. <laughs> or just, yeah, like a, a little smush on the nose or Fidel's suit. Or if, if when Sophia's walking away, she snatches Blanche's and throws it over the yeah, boardwalk. Yeah, thrown one, throw it on the ground. Why the ice cream? Ugh, wasted gag prop. Back at the house, the love triangle is in full effect. As Dorothy in gray slacks, a white blouse and red jacket goes through schoolwork, Rose, in a blue cover and pants with plaid undershirt, reads her history book. Sitting at the couch, they are greeted by the giggly lovebirds of Team Sophia and Fidel. Hoping to get some alone time with the monochrome couple of cream-haired, cream-suited Fidel and cream-dress-wearing Sophia, they were hoping to have the living room to themselves. So Sophia gives the old college try of, Aren't you guys supposed to be asleep? Coco, have you ever had to drop the hint so that you could be alone with someone? Have you ever had to like, hey, guys, thought you were leaving? No, I feel like I'm usually the one that's leaving. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh. That was the saddest. (laughs) The way you said that. (laughs) Sorry. I'm usually the one leaving. Well, I didn't mean it in a sad way, but I guess it's sad. Sorry. Sad life. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, you know. (sighs) You mean all the times you're hooking up with all your foxy ladies, you already had alone time. Exactly. Yeah. Didn't need anything else. That's cool. Yeah. Sorry if that sounded pathetic. (laughs) Well, mine's pretty pathetic, too, but I was trying to shoo... I wouldn't even say friend. It was that person who I did not like at all, but we got stuck in a road trip and we ended up at his house or his brother's house in Texas. Mm-hmm. And his brother had a kid who was more our age because his brother was like way older. And I was in the hot tub with the brother and I was like, oh yeah, we're going to make out in this hot tub. Mm-hmm. And then the guy showed up and got into it with us. And I was like, oh, hey, I thought you were watching a movie or doing something. And instead he uh, re recited the entire Raven poem. Oh, that guy. You told me about him before. He was also the one that did that when the police came and blew up my party and everyone left and there were just a few of us left and then he recited the entire Raven poem. Oh my God. But then he did, I literally was like, hey man, oh no, we were just hanging out. Cool. And trying to tell him and he instead 
stood and he stood up in the hot tub and we just stuck we're stuck sitting there watching his performance Lenore <laughs> while the bubbles are going <laughs> never more <laughs> nothing good happens what is Texas. that so you know maybe it's better to just be the one being asked to leave <laughs> Hoping to join the light apparel brigade is Blanche, who comes out in a white or perhaps cream nightgown and silk robe. Knowing darn well Fidel is there, she pretends to be talking to the girls about how see-through her dress is. Like a moth to the flame, Fidel leaves Sophia's side to greet his other woman. Since he doesn't have cloudy vision brought on by cataracts, he can see that she's doing just fine. The names are back, and some of these insults are definitely on the top of the list for best Golden Girl quotes of all time. Sophia ever so delicately tells Blanche to beat it, you 50-year-old mattress. Blanche is shocked, but it looks like Rue might be having a little bit of an issue with keeping a straight face. Before Blanche can rebut, Dorothy intervenes. Given that they have all agreed to this nightmare of a setup, there have been some ground rules. If one of the girls is on a date with Fidel, the other doesn't get involved. So Blanche, being a good Southern belle, stops herself. Well, almost. Leaving him with one last sexy image, Blanche seductively announces that she will be taking a nice, warm, relaxing bath. With her arm extended up the doorway, she details that the water will only be deep enough to barely cover her perky bosoms, which gives Sophia an opening for what can only be described as the kill shot. You're only going to sit in an inch of water? <laughs> this is an all-time great Golden Girls moment. It starts sexy and ends brutally. Blanche can't appreciate the burn and charges at the old woman. Sophia doesn't hesitate to throw up her fists. She's ready to rumble. But Fidel wasn't. He doesn't want any of them to be fighting. He wants them to just get along, which is totally reasonable. It's only jealous Blanche having to share a man with her roommate, this guy. There's enough Fidel to go around, baby. <laughs> Okay, another question. Have you ever dated someone that was, like, I'm not being committed to you, like an open relationship or like a not settled thing and they were dating other people? God, no. <laughs> I couldn't handle that. No freaking way. Hats off to people that can. Yeah. I, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't, I never, I just, uh, no. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I agree. I tried it once not by choice and it was I didn't care for it but you know if that's your thing he's a dirt bag <laughs> whoever you're talking about well he is but it's why we're together that's right so I love you dirt bag <laughs> leaving the area hoping to calm everything down Fidel tells the ladies goodbye but he can't leave until they run through the plans for the next day Lunch with Sophia, dinner with Blanche, post-dinner dancing with Sophia, which really kind of took my breath away because she's like dancing at 10. And I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, in your 80s? I was doing that in my 20s, but Lord. And then dessert with Blanche at midnight. He could at least separate the dates by days. Sophia gets all of Monday. Blanche gets Tuesday. Ugh, this guy... When Rose doesn't realize that the dessert is with a sexy wink, Sophia snidely remarks that he'll be having jello as Blanche is jiggly, which was also the tagline for the gelatin dessert back in the day. Jello gelatin is the lighter one that tastes more than ever like luscious fresh fruit. No matter how you serve it, there's always room for jello. 
Blanche's physical rage has internalized. Delicately approaching Sophia, she simply tells her, I hate you. I hate the day you moved in. Slightly confused and lost in the heat of the moment, Sophia declares that she regrets the day Blanche was even born. When it's pointed out that she's not yelling at her daughter, Sophia doesn't correct herself, saying, Oh, of course I don't regret having you, Dorothy. She just complains that she needs an antacid. Blanche might need one later, after she's finished the cheesecake she's now on the hunt for. Rushing after their friend, Dorothy and Rose follow Blanche into the kitchen. Maybe she needed more support. Maybe they just wanted cheesecake. Who knows? When Rose pleads for the fighting to end, Blanche refuses. She can't let a man be stolen from her, which Dorothy rightfully points out makes all of the arguing about herself, not Fidel. Well, Blanche won't stand for such accusations. She doesn't even have an ego. To prove it, she could ask all of the men who are so desperate to sleep with her that they would cut off an arm. Even Rose has some thoughts on the situation, and they're coherent ones to boot. If Sophia or any other woman wasn't in the picture, Blanche would have moved on or become bored with Fidel already. She's only dating him out of spite. Well, that's just not true. Blanche can't explain why she feels how she does, but she cares for the man. It's as unexplainable as Bruce Willis's hair, something Coco and I were literally discussing just days ago while watching the fever dream of a film, Color of Night. Coco, can we get some Bruce Willis hair info from you? <laughs> um, I don't know. He was definitely bald, I think, when he did the first Die Hard. I think he's been, he was rugging it the whole time. <laughs> you think since, like, post-moonlighting? Yeah, I think when he didn't have a shaved head and looked awesome in, like, 12 Monkeys and Pulp yeah. Fiction, or Mercury Rising, my favorite, that he was wearing a piece. Yeah. Well, because you can really see the the outline of the hair when he has it shaved. Exactly. And yeah. It's, back. it's like my hairline. <laughs> it is not full. I could get something going, but you uh, You would need some help. I would need a little Ronco spray or a, <laughs> yeah. Or that powder stuff they put in. Oh, get me. Yeah. yeah. Spray it back there. Mm. And uh for any listener that doesn't know color of color of night. Intimate things in the heat of passion. Why would you be ashamed of being a shrink? I told you I was a shrink. One of my patients was killed last night. He was stabbed in the chest 38 times. Tell me about this Monday group. There's five patients in the group. Like five cuckoos? No. Four neurotics of varying degrees and one killer. You've fallen into a trap. A hunger he can't resist. Oh, God, I'm not who you think I am. And a danger. He can't escape. This is an erotic thriller <laughs> in the vein of Basic Instinct or Jade, where he plays a psychiatrist who <laughs> takes over his friend's practice after his friend is hilariously murdered. <laughs> and he, it's a group therapy uh, session that he has twice a week or something with people who are really not group therapy people <laughs> and one of them's a murderer and it's a, and it's offensively 90s in the way they portray like i'm the i'm the slutty girl i'm the drunk i have I... ocd there's a hundred books on this shelf <laughs> that i mean that is accurate coco and i fantasize about the day that we can have uh a showing at a theater of bad movies that we love like they're so bad they're enjoyable and that one is very high on the list 
Yeah. So Campy. check it out if you haven't. <laughs> he can't see red. Which doesn't affect the story at all. Mm-mm. Comes back at the end and you're like, oh yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that thing they mentioned at the start of the film. It's very bad. <laughs> Color of night. Having changed into her comfy yellow nightgown, Sophia is back and she wants to talk everything over with Blanche. She's sick of the fighting and what it's doing to the house and each other. So to end the bickering and to save herself from the inevitable heartbreak of Fidel choosing the younger of the two, Sophia has decided to remove herself from the situation. That moment of honesty and humility makes Blanche realize how silly she's being and that perhaps Dorothy was right. So she too removes herself, offering Fidel to Sophia because she can choose from any of the other many, many men that she has in her little black book. And with that, Sophia's plan works flawlessly and she happily throws her hat back into the ring and will be solo dating Fidel, which Blanche can't really get mad at. It only proved everyone right that Blanche really didn't care that much about the relationship. It's even later in the school year, summer course, season... And Rose is sitting on the couch in my favorite of hers, the airplane sweater, when Dorothy in a gray sweater with a periwinkle stripe comes in with a plate of cookies, a glass of milk, and a surprise. Rose is horrified. Why? Because Dorothy is only nice to her like that when she has something bad to tell her. What has happened to their relationship over the summer break? Where did all this abuse come in? Rose was right to be concerned. Dorothy does have bad news. Rose failed the history test, and she won't be graduating from the program, which means she won't be graduating from school. Upset and responding without thinking, Rose bullies Dorothy right back, telling her she has a big butt. Dorothy tries to be the professional teacher, but she only holds on to that for a moment before she snaps back. I have a big butt. Yours could have been used as one of the few areas that could have shown the epic film How the West Was Won, one of only two movies to be shot in Cinerama which in theory was cool, use a curved screen, make the visual expansive and immersive, but when they were shown in other formats, they totally distorted the picture. She has a big butt, is what Dorothy's saying. When Dorothy hands over the test, Rose corrects her correction. For the question, who was the leader of the Third Reich, she put down her history teacher, you know, the propaganda guy. But the answer should have been Hitler. Grabbing a history book, Rose points out a picture of Hitler. That is who you're asking about. She scoffs. You can call him Hitler, but I know him as my history teacher, Fritz Stickelmeyer. On top of that, she recognizes Ava Braun, Hitler's lady, as the P.E. teacher that was rumored to be dating Mr. History Teacher. Wait a minute. Okay, most schools only have one P.E. teacher, right? Hold on to your butts, Coco. So is Rose saying that she didn't graduate because she got mono from the kissing booth during which she kissed her P.E. teacher who was Ava Braun and she couldn't graduate and now she can't graduate because she didn't know Ava Braun was with Adolf Hitler who was posing as her history teacher? Did Rose kiss Ava Braun? Was she a kiss away from Hitler? Thank you. It sounds that way. My gosh. What if she caught mono from her? And, and so twice she's hindering her ability to graduate. Ava Braun was a real jerk. Well, yeah. Oh. <laughs> For a lot of reasons. Anyway, I'm very proud of that theory. That's great. That's really cool. I like that, too. Because she starts I mean, out. 
Is that what she said about the kissing booth? She starts out. She says, I kissed 50 boys and one very, very confused female (sighs) PE teacher. Which would make me think that it was, well, even if it was, if if I would think maybe they had, well, it was a small town. Yeah, that's true. It's a small town. I only had. They would only have one. Maybe two, but it would be probably a female teacher for the girls' how, gym yeah, class how many, back in the how many 30s or 40s. Yeah. PE teachers do you have in a small town in the Midwest? Wow. You would think she would say- Is this theory on, on I was going to say on the news, is, have you seen <laughs> this Have you seen this theory before? No, I shared it in the Golden Girls group and people went crazy because well, no good. one had pieced it together. That's- Amazing. Thank you. We have you. Ha- this has to be part of like the post or whatever, <laughs> not Hitler, but just like and I Rose's feel like, connections to the Third Reich. <laughs> I feel like lip to lip. Maybe Hitler's. she would have said like, "Oh, and that's the teacher I kissed" or whatever. But you know, it's Rose. She has shown how how difficult things are for mm-hmm. her this episode. Well, and there was no confusion with with Eva Braun about her name. She was Eva right. Braun at school, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. As Dorothy processes all of the information Rose just dropped on her, she can't help but feel sympathetic. Maybe it's because Rose is giving it her all. Maybe she realizes Rose was right about that brainwashing stuff. But for whatever reason, she decides to change that question. And with that, Rose's score is sufficient for a passing grade, which in turn means she is passing the class. Or the course? The semester? Finally, Rose is a high school graduate. While this story does get muddy in another episode, I do appreciate that they once again have used their platform to say, hey, life happens. People that don't graduate or people in GED courses aren't slackers or any other stereotype you might believe that they are. They can be your grandmother, your friend. It doesn't make them any less than. As Sophia emerges from the hallway in a dark dress, Rose excitedly tells her the news, to which she responds supportively as usual. Great, now Rose can work in places with cardboard hats, like Burger King, for example. Again, education doesn't prove your worth, Sophia. Showing off her outfit for Dorothy, Sophia shares that she's being taken to the Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater to see Ruth Buzzy, star of Laughin', usually as Gladys, the dowdly dressed, bad-haired grouch, who will be playing the lead in Evita. Stand by to record. Who's that? (laughs) Sounds like the Wizard of Oz! Hey, I think you're right, because here comes a Wicked Witch of the North. Coming out in her own dress, only a much shorter, brighter, floral one, is Blanche, who also looks ready for a date, because she's planning on going to the same date. Well, it finally happened. Fidel double-booked. It's no surprise to Dorothy, who then answers the phone while the girls get back to their word battle. Blanche calls Sophia a raisin in sneakers and declares she will be going on the date. Before more names or fists are thrown, Dorothy shuts them down. She sounds serious. She tells them no one is going on the date, not even Fidel, because he's dead. Cut to the funeral, a room full of black dresses and sad women. Blanche and Sophia, while quietly proud of their female prowess, are devastated they were just too much for him. Blanche and Sophia are having a real moment, recognizing that their petty behavior and high demands didn't help his heart. Dorothy really could let Blanche own a little bit, not in killing Fidel, but that her behaviors were ridiculous, but she consoles them anyway. As the service begins, it doesn't take long for the emotions to run high. Soon, all of the women are teared up. Sophia then realizes there might be something going on, so she takes a quick poll, asking, who was Fidel's girlfriend? And every hand shoots up. 
So maybe it wasn't Sophia and Blanche's cheap lust that killed him. Playing the priest is John Acorn, and he isn't dead. His heydays of acting were in the 80s and 90s when he appeared on shows like Fresh Prince, Quantum Leap, Murphy Brown, Night Court, New Heart, Knott's Landing, Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, and films like Night of the Comet and Beverly Hills Cop. Most important and iconically, he appeared in the late great Olivia Newton-John's video for Physical, and he should have won a VMA for his portrayal of a man on a bike in the before part of the video. I know exactly who you're talking Everyone about. Everyone does. He's very horny, I think, and right? He's, well, he's like, uh, uh, uh. he's like thrusting. He's like standing up on it. Well, you got to get physical. Physical. Pump that bike. <sighs> yeah. Every, and I think of like almost all the men, he's probably the most recognizable or like memorable from the bike. Because it's, well, oh no, it's one of those pull bikes. It's like you pull back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, Ugh, uh. Yeah, so it has a humpy vibe to it, right? <laughs> yes, it, it brings your, it brings He's your, thrusting. Yeah, it brings your hips up, right? Yeah. Bam, bam, <laughs> bam, bam. So. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I bring. One of the women are disgusted by Fidel's behavior, sleeping with every woman in the room. Well, everyone but Dorothy, that is. He did have his standards. Okay, I'm not trying to be a bummer, but Magna Harut, playing woman, also passed in 2021. She had a long, successful career, appearing on General Hospital, I Dream of Jeannie, Three Stooges, Lou Grant, Mama's Family, Newhart, Seinfeld, Blossom, The Nanny, and Six Feet Under. She had a bit of a Golden Girls theme in her resume, appearing on Bob Hope Presents, Chrysler Theater, and on a show called Mr. Terrific. She was a prominent stage actor in the Los Angeles area, earning herself some awards. She, too, was a child of immigrants, her father coming from Armenia. Before the emotions get out of control, Sophia takes the helm. Yeah, Fidel sucked. He was a liar, a cheat, a scumbag. When the same woman pipes in, Sophia asks her to take a seat. She's a solo act. Hey, hey, I'm serious here. I am not joking around. I am not joking. I am not fuzzy standing here. Sure, now we feel this way about Fidel, but in the moment, he made Sophia feel young, loved, seen, and heard. Feelings she hasn't felt in 35 years. But um, didn't we start all of this with Sal being dead only 27 years? That must have made for a last rough decade together. Maybe Fidel was a player and used his charm to get what he wanted from women. But they got something from him, too. After calling everyone a dog, Sophia wraps up. Let's remember him for what he meant to us and how he made us feel. Moved by her speech, Blanche apologizes and is so sorry for how she handled the entire situation, even saying she wishes she could go back and let Sophia have him. Well, that does it for Sophia. She found a decent, well, sort of, man and had to fight for him. And now Blanche will give him up now that he has more powder on his face than the classic Hollywood star of Frank Capra's You Can't Take It With You and Miller. And even when it comes to romance, when I feel that I might fall, I always go and play it smart Until I hear that beat, I gotta hear that beat That certain beat in my heart 
Fed up with Fidel, the women, and especially Blanche, Sophia is having a bit of a moment. So she excuses herself as she rattles off all of the things that would make a better partner than her dead boyfriend, like lumber, packing peanuts, coat racks. Ruth Buzzy better watch her back. The first lesson of today. It is so nice to be back. Sometimes the stress surrounding the things you love affects how much you love it. So to have Coco healthy and happy and to be able to come back to the show, well, our love for all of it is renewed. As for Dorothy and Rose, it was not surprising to see Dorothy hold the line and not pass her friend just to be nice. She knew Rose would appreciate her degree more if she earned it with learning and hard work, not just a handout. As for Rose, well, she showed us that sticking to your guns and being steadfast in what you know to be true can not only get you what you need, but can educate others. Blanche and Sophia sort of made up in the end, but it was too late for their relationship with Fidel. It shouldn't take the death of someone or the loss of something to make you see what's really important. Blanche realized with Fidel's death that she didn't really love him. She was just being competitive, something she could have realized earlier for her own sake, so she wasn't in a relationship that was a game for her. But that's something for her and her therapist to work out. We've talked a lot about Hitler today, and he seems to be a bit of a hot topic recently. To help those who have been threatened or harmed due to anti-Semitism, you can make a donation at ADL.org. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we learn all about Sophia's daily activities in The Days and Nights of Sophia Petrillo. Someone release a gratitude beefer because <laughs> boo, it's bad. <laughs> I was just Burger King. You got them gratitude beefers, quarter pounder, bacon king gratitude beefers <laughs> with chicken. We're back, baby. <laughs> oh man, I wish I had. Oh, a little tear chamois is a good idea. <laughs> you can cut up the chamois. I feel like I, like, yeah, I feel like we cry enough to. <laughs> To warrant a couple of those tacked to the wall around oh, the we house. Oh, don't have t- we don't have tissues. We have tear shampoo. Yeah, there's one right over there. It's cleanish. <laughs> we can't have we can't have all this crying in in this episode. <laughs> it's okay though. It's a big deal. It's a big like yeah. um, uh, milestone. You know how we were like, oh, you just have to get to two weeks out, and then oh, let's just get to the Disneyland trip. I mean, one of the biggest things was finding that version of Danny Boy. <laughs> That's right. I was so excited. I was like, I have to make it. For that reason, <laughs> I have to play this song. We really should do that because on the show, they got rid of Coco for no reason. Oh, that's true. He just was gone. Danny Boy. So you could just show up and be Danny Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want people to think about House of Pain every time they think of our show. <laughs> they're, they're really into being Irish. I don't know. <laughs> the, the House of Pain is an Irish household. They love, Really? They shillelagh, yeah, hard. <laughs> Did you hear that noise I just made? Yeah, that was a cute little mouth fart. But it was in. Yeah. Oh, that felt awful. Oh, my tongue. <laughs> oh, it gave my tongue a tickle. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know all the words to I all didn't songs know like you. you. I'm starting to get my, my, my wrinkles getting stinky. <laughs> Sweet memory.
Have you seen that king's little pink sausage fingers? It's like a ghoulish charcuterie plate. Has he ever made a fist? Can he make a fist? He has a fistman who makes fists for him. Oh, I'm ever so pissed. Roll my sausages up so I can show him. <laughs> he said my fingers look uncooked. <laughs> for all of our eternal lives, Give me that we will be together and I will clean your grundle. <laughs> Amen. Arithmetic starts with an apostrophe. That's right. Get out of my face with that little squiggle. That's cool. We touched on royal inbreeding. That's, Accidentally. That's great. I just, you know, <laughs> incredible thoughts. <laughs> Crack the book. Oh. That sounded Lick fun. your finger. Crack the book. Turn the page. He was a character actor, so you may have seen him in Bonanza, Mood Squad. Mood Squad? <laughs> Do you you're, have a mod ring? You're the leader of the Mood Squad. <laughs> <laughs> You're so funny. Oh. <laughs> Did it just go at somebody? What in the Rex? movie? No, no in the no. movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it just like. Sorry, nip- I snapped at you. <laughs> You're the horse oh. now. <laughs> a horse falling off a cliff. Remember how Mr. Ed is actually a zebra? Yeah, we. I would love to confirm this. Yes, I do. We've it's got very to find upsetting. out. How long were Mr. Ed's teeth? Do they grow the same because he's a zebra? What is a zebra? Is it a horse? I think it's a horse species. Cut that out. I'm sure I knew that. <laughs> of course it's a horse. <laughs> Wait, ah! oh, he's, I, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm Mr. Edded. <laughs> of course it's a horse. No, I could see how it happened. The guy was sitting at the piano or whatever, and then he rhymed those two words and made history. Horstery. What a fool. <laughs> they're just mouth farts. They're just, well, they're not exactly. Because <laughs> you know exactly what that well, is. I just, well, yes, that's not why I'm saying that. I got sick and I burped farts for a month. I was drinking heavily at the time. <laughs> that might have done it. Anywho. Well, it was a egg, it was an egg McMuffin, a sausage McMuffin. I had an egg McMuffin. It went bad. It was bad. And it the sickness just didn't go away. That's awful. It started with an egg. <laughs> <laughs> How did we end up like this? <laughs> it was only an egg. It was only an egg, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can't huff when your mic's on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Take a breath. Well, now I'm getting pissed. Well, take a breath. No. <laughs> I'm too pissed. Still, still take the breath. <laughs> I'll just never breathe again. <clears throat> Why is that? Why is it you go to a hospital or a hotel and it's like, you can be in your own town and Channel 2 has been ABC for 100 years, <laughs> and you go to a hotel or the hospital, and it's like, oh, ABC, that's Channel 14, of course. <laughs> what is that? Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe because it's sometimes on Dish Network, which is always just the worst thing Ugh. that could possibly happen. 
Don't get me started. <laughs> like, I'll just sleep in my car. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of watching. Dish, yes. <laughs> Cancel the hotel. No, just I'll pay for it. I'm not sleeping in it. <laughs> Support printed things or something. Hello? You know, like not newspapers, but well, yes, newspapers. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Buy a book. Support printed media. It's dead. <laughs> In beautiful Pasadena. Pasadena, California. Our country. Yikes. <laughs> Still. Currently, always. Man. We're not even close. No. I gotta die from something. <laughs> Might as well be the air. <laughs> Is it right? Right. Right. Like a rake. Like right. how an Australian person R-I-K-E. would say rake. Thank you. Rikey. And then I was like, well, I've seen, I saw like one or two of them when I was little. So Kate I Blanchett's? <laughs> I can't remember. The new one is called like Indiana Jones and the Secret Rolodex or something like that. Let me look it up. It's a really, it's a bad name. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. <laughs> the Secret Rolodex. So I was near, I was close. <laughs> Flip that, flip that baby over to T for treasure. Let's get this over with. People, huh? With their little books. <laughs> and what a great name. One of the best names of all time. Oh, yeah. Red Skelton. Yeah. Not uh, Second only to Red Buttons. <laughs> what is a zebra? It's a donkey that you only paint half of. Yeah, if you did a Mr. Zed, it'd be a donkey. And then they'd paint that to look like a zebra. Oh, my God. Debra. Everybody loves Raymond. Bye. <laughs> you don't have to clarify. <clears throat> uh, I've scrubbed your grundle. Oh. Ow. Ow. I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> don't open your eyes in that water, though. You'll get a, an infection. You can get Giardia if you get the water in your mouth. Maybe it's like the lake that took away my feet stink. Oh, but Blanche was just being a silly goose. And I have a quack quack here. And a quack quack there. <laughs> we were like a couple of dummies today. <laughs> we're just so happy to be doing this. It is. It's yeah. It's that's that's what it is. Yeah. I love it. A hoagie and a boat make it float. A hoagie and a boat make it float. Make it float. A hoagie and a boat make it float. Oh, that does help. It really. A hoagie and a boat make it float. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. I won't say something like I like the way I say things. <laughs> <laughs> Will only be deep enough to barely cover her pookie bosoms. Pookie bosoms. Pookie boo. Ooh, that's a cute little name. Start calling you pookie bosoms. Mm. Sophia snidely remarks that he'll be having Jello because Blanche. Blanche. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see his wiener? Oh yeah, I forgot. Well, Bruno didn't look warm. Not like Affleck getting in that uh, shower at the end of Gone Girl that we watched yesterday. That was a steamy shower, I think. <laughs> Looked like a, a flesh waterfall. <laughs> Let me tell you what he did. He pulled on it twice, and he he grabbed it in in both hands, maybe I don't know, and gave it two quick, um, like blood pressure cuff pumps, and walked on set. Maybe put some Pam on it. That penis is cascading off of that body. It's just bursting forward. <laughs> oh, Ellen. Leaping. Oh, you're my queen. 
All right, two more pages. We got this. Mm. Oh, did someone say pages? I am the queen. <laughs> Get to bring my pages <laughs> and my corgis. <laughs> mummy, mummy, can I have a marmalade? Your mama has to see your butt. Come on now. I love California wrinkle boys. California wrinkle boys. <laughs> Clip of let's go let's go physical. <laughs> I'm doing great. Olivia Newton John Travolta. Before and after. I'm not listening and I'm I've checked out of the process and want to go home. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.